The Institute. Institute. Institute for Justice. The National Law Firm for Liberty. Hello and welcome to Short Circuit, a weekly podcast covering action in the U.S. Courts of Appeal. Why appeals courts? Well, thousands of cases are decided each year at the circuit court level, the vast majority of which do not go on to the Supreme Court for further review. That means many key constitutional questions are decided by the Courts of Appeal. I'm your host, John Ross, joined by Clark Neely and Evan Burnick. Today we'll talk about a questionable traffic stop, a tough deportation case, and a city's ban on charitable donation bins. Okay, Evan, kick us off. This is a Fifth Circuit case involving a traffic stop in Texas. Texas law requires the driver's signal within 100 feet of any turn that they make. Marco Alvarado Zarza was pulled over by a police officer for purportedly violating this law. The police officer searched his car, found cocaine, and he was subsequently charged with a drug crime. Now, the issue in this case was... Um, that he didn't make the turn. He was, it was a lane change. Right. And the police officer who pulled him over assumed mm-hmm. that the law requiring a signal before you make a turn applied equally before you make a lane change, but he was mistaken about that, right? Right. He was mistaken about that, and he argued that he was reasonably mistaken because a chur- uh, turn is basically the same thing as a lane change. The Supreme Court just issued a similar uh, decision on a similar question, did they not? Right. In Hine v. North Carolina, the Supreme Court concluded that a reasonable mistake of law, emphasized reasonable mistake, um, would not justify suppressing evidence in a subsequent criminal trial. But in this case, the court concluded that the officer's mistake about law was not reasonable, that a turn is actually different from a lane change, that the Texas Transportation Code makes that distinction clear, and that subsequent it, the prior case law has actually fleshed out the distinction in a way such that the officer could not have been reasonably mistaken about this. The takeaway in this case uh, points to a really interesting and important question, and that is whether there's going to be uh, a massive double standard where citizens are expected to know the law and not make mistakes about the law. Um, They're rarely given a break if they do. By contrast, it is frequently the case that police officers and other government officials are allowed to make mistakes about the law, and courts will often bend over backwards to say that it's okay in a situation where the civilian would not be given a break. Ignorance of the law is no excuse unless you've got a badge and you're enforcing the law. Unfortunately, that is the result in many cases, but the Fifth Circuit got it right in this case and did not employ that double standard. Bravo. Okay, moving on to the next case, which comes by way of the First Circuit. Clark. Well, the next case is a real heartbreaker, and the thing that's important about this case is it really destroys the myth that judicial engagement is just a synonym for outcomes that libertarians like. The outcome of this case is tragic, it's heartbreaking, and I personally think terribly unjust. But I don't think it's illegal, I don't think it's unconstitutional, and unfortunately I I think the court got it right, even though, as I said, the outcome is tragic. Uh, The facts are these. Um, A woman uh, named uh, Dimova is here in the United States legally. She's married to an American citizen. They have a son. She lives and works in North Carolina. A friend of hers, also from Bulgaria, involves her in a scheme to essentially drive his car back into the United States from Canada, where he is living. Uh, And unbeknownst to her, he is... Not he has he's not a legal resident. He has uh, it's illegal for him to try to get back into the United States. So he's essentially involved her in a scheme to try to smuggle him and his family 
back into the United States. The scheme involves uh, driving towards the U.S. border on the Canadian side. She's supposed to drop this man off with his wife and daughter. Uh, Dimova will then cross into the United States in his car and pick them up on the other side of the border after they've hiked across through the woods. She decides she wants no part of the scheme when she realizes what's up. She drives across the border and uh, back in the direction of North Carolina, but she has a crisis of conscience because she knows that this man and particularly his wife and child are wandering around out in the woods at night alone. So she makes a fateful decision. She turns her car around and she goes back to pick them up. Yeah, Dimova returns to Vermont to pick up the family and all of them are then apprehended. Uh, Dimova is subject then to removal proceedings by the government for violating federal law, which makes it illegal to help aliens enter the country. Well, the court acknowledged that she was lied to and she was taken advantage of. Yeah, unfortunately, um, what the court determines, and there's no real factual dispute about this, is that even though she wasn't aware that they were trying to involve her in a scheme to sneak non-residents back into the country when she went to Canada to help drive the car back, she did know at the time she turned that car around and drove back to Vermont to pick them up that there was a scheme unfolding to enter the United States illegally, and she helped them. Now, she helped them for a humanitarian reason. There doesn't seem to be any dispute about that. And she argues that that should make a difference and that that's a basis for not deporting her, but the court disagrees. Right. I mean, judicial engagement is not a formula for getting results that libertarians like. It's an empirically verifiable approach to judging based on facts, evidence, and a genuine search for the truth. And in this case, the judge focused on the facts, he focused on the law, came to the conclusion that even though she acted with humanitarian motives and might have done the right thing, she fell under the law and needed to be subject to it. I think ultimately the question about this case is not a judicial one, um, but one that should be directed to to another branch, to the executive branch. And the question is this, why on earth did they move to deport a woman who was married with a son and employed and essentially living the American dream and clearly got involved in a scheme without her knowledge. And the only reason she ended up violating the law was because in her heart, as a matter of conscience, uh, and again, from a humanitarian impulse, she decided she had to drive back and help this family. Is that really the kind of person that needs to be deported and thrown out of this country with her family ripped apart and separated? I'd like to know who made that decision and why. Okay, to the last case then, Clark. Well, this is a wonderfully engaged decision from the Sixth Circuit um, involving a city ordinance that made it illegal to uh, have charitable donation bins. Um, Basically, some people had an issue with a particular nonprofit that had donation bins around the city of St. John's, Michigan. Uh, The city wanted to get rid of the bins, so they enacted an ordinance that made it illegal to have charitable donation bins but no other kind of bins, not dumpsters or recycling bins or anything else, just charitable donation bins, made those illegal. Well, city officials said that there were certain public health risks with these bins. Yeah, and this is very common. The city asserts a whole list of boilerplate about supposed concerns with overflowing bins and trash being left in the bins instead of, you know, charitable goods and so forth and so on. And that's one of the reasons why the city fights so hard uh, for this to be uh, basically not a content-based Uh, restriction on speech. That's how the case gets litigated. But some other restriction, because why? Well, it all comes down to the standard of review that applies. The city basically doesn't want to have to present any evidence that any of the concerns that it asserted in enacting the ordinance are true, because they're not true. But the fact of the matter is that the city's prohibition only applied to bans that solicited charitable goods, none others. 
Right. So it's clearly a content-based restriction on speech. This normally gets strict scrutiny. And one of the most important things that means is if the government's going to assert that there's a particular problem, they have to prove that that problem exists. Again, in this situation, there is no real problem with these charitable donation bins. The city is just asserting something that isn't true. And so they're very interested in getting a lower standard uh, of scrutiny from the courts where they don't actually have to prove that any of their stated concerns have any factual basis. So what did the court say? Well, there's a somewhat amusing line here where the court says, yes, uh, bins do speak. This is expressive activity. And the Supreme Court has consistently held that charitable solicitation in person is protected by the First Amendment. The court looks to the, uh, looks at the facts of this case, concludes that this is substantively no different from somebody holding up a sign on the side of the road and saying, um, essentially, give me money. Uh, and comes to the conclusion that this is expressive activity, this is a content-based restriction, and it should be subject to strict scrutiny. So the takeaway in this case is that the Sixth Circuit gets it right on a really important dynamic issue of First Amendment law, and that is, when is the government suppressing speech on the basis of its content? There's a whole fight unfolding in the circuit courts and even the Supreme Court where government tries to take obviously content-based regulations of speech and portray them as something else so they can get a lower standard of review. And this is a case in which the Sixth Circuit held up its hand firmly and said, absolutely not, you're regulating the speech on the basis basis of its content, and we're going to judge your ordinance accordingly. Bravo, an engaged decision from the Sixth Circuit. Okay, that's it for this week. Big ups to sound engineer Mark Maranta, whose claims are always viable. And big ups to you, our listeners. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, please send comments and questions to shortcircuit at ij.org. Until next time, this is John Ross from the Institute for Justice, appealing to you to get engaged.